0: To authority issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and being a little anxious about the prospect of not having an excuse to say no to social gatherings anymore. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course leadership.
1: And I'm sorry. I, I don't think I've ever stopped and said like, "No, I'm not anxious." <laughs> Holy, no, you're fuck. not, <laughs> Rachel. Oh my gosh. Whoo! And I'm Kendall Miller. Finding my sanity day in and day out by way of riding ridiculous bikes and attempting as much human interaction as is possible, Rachel, in the (laughs) tail end of a, well, fingers crossed tail end of a global pandemic.
0: Today on the show, we're talking with Dr. Irina Kukuyeva, Principal and Fractional Chief Data Officer at Kukuyeva Consulting. Thanks for being on
2: the show.
1: Yeah, welcome, Irina.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Really excited.
1: So let's dive in. I mean, back all the way up, talk to us about uh, how you ended up with this PhD, how you ended up where you are today, how you got to, um, well, this this position of authority that you're in.
2: Sure. No, that sounds good. And I promise i will be donuts involved, or at least I'll mention them. Um, so, <laughs> so I'll start back in elementary school. I actually ended up moving to Los Angeles from Moscow. First big change. Uh, Ended up, you know, coming here and knowing pretty much, hi, my name is Irina and I don't speak English.
1: So let me interrupt you right there. Wait, you said you moved here from Moscow to Los Angeles? Is that what you said? And in elementary school, how old were you? I was nine. You were nine. Okay. So sorry, keep going.
2: Yeah, no worries. Um, So I moved with my family and My parents came here when they were in the late 40s. So to them, starting over, no English, you know, uh, my mom was a librarian. My dad was an electrical engineer. Things just didn't translate well. So until retirement, they've worked actually a lot of uh, really interesting, odd um, jobs. And their uh, ask of me and my sister was, we really, we came here to go give you opportunity and we want you to have a good education. You're welcome to live rent free, but all of your schooling is on you. That's, that's kind
0: of an experience I've had as well. I moved here when I was uh, just a little kid from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And similarly, it's the, the idea of paying for college was not something that my parents thought they were on the hook for at all. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that <laughs> <laughs> carry
2: on. No, no worries. And so I started out um, in high school. I had to get a permit to work, um, started working Let's see. I think my first job I was stuffing envelopes. Um, I ate a lot of donuts that summer. Um, all of the people that worked there told us, you know, you're never going to eat another donut in your life. And I thought, I'm 16. Of course I will. No. no, <laughs> I, ate no a, I had over a hundred donuts that summer. I think. <laughs>
1: So so this is interesting to me, my brother, and this is a sidetrack, my brother had was joined a donut eating contest in high school, ate 16 donuts in one sitting, and has (laughs) never touched a donut since. I love donuts, and I tried <laughs> multiple times to eat enough donuts to stop wanting donuts. And there has been no threshold for me where the next day I don't want donuts. Well, so, we're aware that uh, you're an
0: extreme case in a variety of situations. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I okay, so will no, we'll we'll say I love all other desserts. Uh, and I'm not picky, it, but it's more symbolic <laughs> what are, at this point. What about, yeah. I
1: have to I, and I have to ask, like like a, an edge case like a apple fritter. Is that enough of a donut that you don't like Coolers. it? Or are you interested in that?
2: No, those are pretty good. Vegan vegan donuts, okay. also really good. Yeah, just the traditional. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay, <laughs> anyway. Right. Sorry. This is no, very no important. worries.
0: This is this That's is kind of, uh hot donut
2: summer. <laughs> That's right. No, no worries. Um worked there i've worked uh, night shift in retail um you know definitely done the you know you go to school you run for the bus to get there at 6 35 you try to get there by 8 you go to school take the bus to get to the mall by five thirty, and work till 11 or 12 till closing time and doing that again um and then in yep. undergrad i actually ended up I didn't know what i was gonna do i started with undeclared physical sciences just took a bunch of courses all over campus and then just by reading the course description for econometrics i realized this data thing just sounds really interesting (laughs) let's learn more about it and ended up taking classes in the econ department in the stats department by then statistics wasn't really or data science wasn't a thing there were maybe six people in some of my classes sometimes 12 20 was the biggest class, (laughs) and realized, um, you know, I, I actually enjoy this. I find it very intuitive, for lack of a better word and ended
1: up, Data? Wait, you yeah. enjoy what? Data? Is data data analysis? Like? That's yeah. what you're saying? Hell no, yeah. I just assumed yeah. that can't be what you're saying, but okay. No, I think You find me, data intuitive. Existing
2: in reality. And, well, one of the things that I love the most about it is figuring out, you think your customers are doing this, but then you look at the data and they're doing completely different things. And they'll actually give you specific feedback. And so being able to take that, learn from that, and then make them happier is a big part of what helps me mentor other startups and helps me do what I do a lot. Um, well, I'll get to that part uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit later. Yeah, now We're worries. back.
0: <laughs> we're still no at worries. the hot donut summer. <laughs> I know, right?
2: Um, and I ended up going into the next summer, actually ended up landing my first internship in golf club manufacturing. They wanted to use data in a novel way. And I ended up, one, learning how to drive, Thankfully, I saved enough to buy a car. And then I had almost a four and a half hour commute that whole summer every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so what sort of data do they collect at a
0: golf club manufacturing That's the factory? only project
2: I feel like I can't talk about. It's one of those things that if I tell you what it is, it's going to give it away. Okay. Uh, which, you know, lots of startups will tell you that. But it's one of the ones I unfortunately cannot. Um, but I've really was enjoyed... Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm.
0: data collected during the manufacturing, not during the usage of the golf clubs? Uh, not even exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately,
2: okay, never mind. Job See, job I'm already starts. interested in the data. Come on, Rachel. <laughs> it's already, yeah.
1: it's, uh, actually, Arena. my guess is that we would have no idea. It's just intuitive to you because <laughs> data makes sense to you. And you'd tell us and we'd have to ask 150 questions to get to any kind of clarity. Uh, but that's okay. Love, we can skip right? over it.
2: That's how yeah. we usually no do it. But anyway. I do actually with collaboration. I do prefer that when I'm working to get a lot of different questions and then making sure through asking those questions, we do get on the same page. And I've Mm. learned that the hard way, because I realized if you don't, you're going to make different assumptions or you'll go into the meeting. You think everyone's on the same page, you leave. Everyone's on the totally different page and making completely different assumptions if you don't ask those questions. Um, Sounds (laughs) like
0: there's a story there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, I've definitely had uh, one of my clients, I've learned this. Also, the hard way is that we would go into executive meetings and somebody will have an idea. Let's do X. And that's it. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 we'll go do X. And then the next time we'll do a check-in, everyone's doing completely different things. Products doing something different. Sales doing something different. Engineers doing something different. Data is also doing something different. And I realized um, a couple of, I think it was maybe a month later, you know, the executive, um, the CEO was, you know, a little bit unhappy with the progress. And he said, we need to move faster. Everyone, we need to move faster. And everyone said, yes, yes. And I'm the only one. That, wait, sorry, uh, we should actually scope things out first. I think we move way too fast. And you can see at first the CEO was really hesitant, but then he thought about it and he said, yeah, I think you're right, we need to do this. And at first I thought I was gonna get fired, <laughs> but it turned <laughs> out that bond report. Like that meme of the nice. guy getting
0: thrown out the window from the business meeting. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. your imagination of what was about to happen. Right. Light. Right.
2: Cause everyone else was on the same page and I was the only one
0: struggling with this. Yeah. You can often like end up in a situation where, you know, the executive leadership is almost a cult of personality and people are like,
1: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'll do
0: whatever. That's you. what, if you said it, that's a good idea. Or they're mm-hmm. afraid to make waves. You know, they're just, mm-hmm. they just mm-hmm. want to be yes people, I guess. Uh, So yeah, anyway.
2: (laughs) No, no worries. Well, and I was going to say as a consultant, sometimes that's something that I can, as an outsider, I understand that I have some of that uh, maybe rapport built in that I could say, okay, well, let's talk about the context. Let's talk about the business impact. And why are we doing this in the first place? Because I'm consulting. We need to make sure we're aligned on these things before we do them. And I realized going into it that sometimes I have to be the voice of not just the customer, but also people in the room that don't feel like they have a voice that could say that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can be the voice of a little doubt, a little, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. apprehension, which is not necessarily politically feasible for people who work there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're already into the deep (laughs) stuff here. I'm still an undergrad. No, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Uh, So, how did you get from uh, being an undergrad to being the person in the room who gets to say that and not get fired?
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think to the last to the last point, I think it's the being able to say I'm I'm comfortable being fired for speaking up, but if I'm fired for saying this, I'm okay. I haven't been fired for doing that. I I find that it builds rapport, but having that, um, you know, making sure that what I recommend is what I think is the right thing for that business at that point in time. And being able to say, I've definitely had, you know, conversations where the client wants to do this big thing and, It is for me, part of it is working through pros and cons. Okay, well, I know you want to do this big thing, but here's a way to scope that down. And here's why that might be challenging. And if we're not on the same page, sometimes I might say, okay, I know you want to pay me half a million dollars, but if we just work on this for 10 hours, (laughs) you're going to save a lot of money. And then we'll see if this will actually work.
0: (laughs) Then you can pay me half a million dollars. Yes. (laughs) Boom. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That is a nice place to be uh so
2: but anyway i really do want to hear like what, what were you after your so you got this internship at the Got this internship and i realized for me to keep doing data stuff i need to actually have a statistics major and and i actually ended up declaring economics as a major statistics as a major and when i was looking for roles i found that you know before data science was a thing the roles were more data entry and i've done you know, went into it, done some data entry, and I realized I wanted to do more. And I actually went back to school and got my master's in statistics and have enjoyed. Um, I ended up working in online advertising. I've worked at um, finance, and I realized I wanted to work. One of my collaborators on one of the projects was uh, at JPL, and I realized, okay, I think what I want to do, I want to work at JPL. I think one of the main requirements is you need a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess let's do it. Let's go back to school again. And I ended up, you know, starting a project, um, working with um, Center for Environmental Statistics, I worked with satellite data. And I realized I worked with, um, at that point, Jason, one satellite was one that goes around the earth and gets data every, uh, it takes around 10 days to go around the earth. And I realized, you know, for me to do pretty much to do a PhD in statistics in, in UCLA statistics, you have to do three things to do an applied PhD. You have to, um, create a new algorithm. You have to show that it works or implement it. And then you actually have to show that it works. So there's three components. (laughs) So it's not just, you know, you can have an idea. You, you need to actually see that it works. And part of doing, um, the work I realized as kind of any, any project out there, I need to scope things down (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I need to, I need to do a proof of concept. And so my proof of concept ended up being um, using data from the Hubble space telescope, which took images of Jupiter to see, are there, um, the question was if there's two storms on Jupiter, are there any similarities? And the biggest challenge was um, there's no, There wasn't validated data until the Juno mission in 2018. And so when I was working on this around 2009 to 2012, I've created something. I had the idea that it it seems to work, but it took six years to actually get validation. By then I was working in the industry and I thought, oh, wow, this is so cool. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) did you go back
0: and like do a bunch of uh, a bunch of work to see whether your 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 algorithm panned out or was that something they just took forward and they used?
2: Oh, that's a good question. So the conclusion that I, the conclusion that I came to in 2012 was validated in 2018, but yes, mm-hmm. it was a, uh, I, I don't think anyone used it. But it was good to, you know, kind of pat on the back. Okay. I, I've done this work and hey, I saw got the validated. future. Yeah. I didn't expect. <laughs> that's um,
1: cool.
2: And um, actually when I was working on my PhD, I took time off to work in the industry and i was actually wasn't sure if i should go back i find that a lot of people have that question of okay well i'm working do i want to go back do i need to w- what are these questions uh and then my advisor was retiring and it said i'm retiring in a year and so that was my uh okay <laughs> that's a
0: forcing function if i ever heard yes. one
2: <laughs> <I> thought, okay <laughs> let's do it um and i realized in my phd i learned kind of three things i learned I learned how to do research. I think that's a given, probably for anyone. I learned how to learn, um, which has, you know, helped me a lot. Just being in tech of figure out, okay, well, how do I keep up with things? And then the third one, which is um, being able to check in with your stakeholders more than once every three years, <laughs> because I didn't check in between my orals and the defense. And then the question was, well, what were you working on? <laughs> no one had any idea. Anymore. No one had any idea. <laughs> Understandably. Listen. Closer touch points.
1: So, did you? Man, there's so that, much about. Sorry, yeah. there's so much about just remote work right there that I mm-hmm. wanna. Well I'm not gonna say. I think it's already been said. But anyways, go ahead, Rachel. What were you gonna say? Uh,
0: so, I, in in the time frame that you're talking about, you know, you you realize you wanted to get your PhD, and so in order to do that, you had to go through this process. Uh, did you, were you a, as a grad student, as a PhD student, were you a leader of people at any point? Did you have a team that you worked with or at what point did that become a thing for you?
2: Mm, that's a good question. So I would say the way that I've, my leadership probably in graduate school a lot has been more on, here's what I learned. Let me show you how to do it so you don't have to struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done a lot of teaching, even as an undergrad, as a grad student, I mean, since then. Um, but that's one way that I found that I can give back to say, OK, I figured out the process. Let me document it. I can share it so you don't have to struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't managed teams in undergrad or graduate school, um, but I found that's the way that that is a big thing of how I work is let's go, we're on the same team. Um, let's see how we can work together and let me see how I can support you better and help you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You're very mission focused. Like, here's what we're trying to achieve. Let's mm-hmm.
0: work together. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you completed your PhD after reminding your, uh, your committee, what you worked on right. uh,
2: and then yeah. what happened? Yeah. And then I actually, so because it, you know, for anyone that's done a PhD, you never know when you're going to finish, right? There's mm-hmm. this new thing. Um, and so if you work in academia, there's, um, a set of deadlines around November to start, um, so that when you're, there's November deadlines so that you can apply for roles for fall the following year to teach and do research. And so I completely missed it. Um, I think I was, (laughs) by the time I realized I was done, it was June. And so I was applying to the remaining teaching jobs that weren't filled. Um, so these would be in California uh, in different universities in California for teaching, for postdoc, for um, consulting roles in academia. And then I applied to the industry. And then, maybe no surprise, industry got back to me first months ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I ended up landing. Well, oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: So before you say reland, was your hope in the PhD to end up in academia? Did you want to be a professor of data science uh, or statistics? Question.
2: Yeah, so I would say I wanted to work at JPL. And when I graduated in 2012, there were a lot of budget cuts and JPL wasn't hiring. So this was just kind of, okay, backup plan. I'll, I'll apply to, I'll see what's out there. And I applied to roles I was interested in, not just, you know, blanket apply. I think I applied to maybe five academic jobs and maybe three industry jobs at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I ended up joining Ipsos which if you're not in market research, you've never heard of it, Uh, but it's a global kind of, uh, one of top three global market research firms. And I landed a role, um, it's called Director of um, uh, Ipsil Science Center. And so this was a team of between two to five people uh, and I would call us firefighters. So if anyone in the global company had any questions, they would come to us and we will help them solve the problem. (laughs)
1: Whoa. And so that <laughs> sounds miserable. Was it really fun? Or was that just like terrible it could be as it fun,
2: sounds? actually. It depends. depends. <laughs> I found I found no, a lot. Of, yeah. Well, and then there was this other project that I also wanted to talk about that one global. Um, but one of the things that I learned is kind of the how do you do a post mortem type of thing? Because if somebody contacts you right after the thing is live and things didn't go as expected, You have to save the day, but then also step back and have Mm -hmm. that conversation of, okay, well, how do we improve this for next time? Um, And it is learning those things that if I don't ask that, then nothing might get improved. (laughs) Yeah, you're never gonna
0: know what happened. But Mm -hmm. so, so you you came out your PhD, moved into this director role, and you had a team at that point. Uh, And I I mean, this is right around the time that like data science is a thing was hotting up, and I know that you know a market research company would absolutely be first off the line to get someone who has that background so it seems like it was kind of a match made in heaven for you and also a way for you to learn kind of in the trenches like right away you're Mm -hmm. fighting fires as you put it
1: right
0: Um, Right. so people would come to you and be like okay I I launched this this is it like post the results coming back in or was this during the project we're collecting data and something is hinky can you tell me what I did wrong is there Mm a Is there, you know,
2: bias in my data, those kinds of things? Right. So it could be both. So it could be, Hey, we're, we've created the thing, it's launched and the results aren't making sense or how do we launch this better? Or how do we do this? And, um, the other project that actually took up even more of my time. And one of the reasons I was hired was what my boss and his coworker over the weekend created, uh, MVP of something that, actually ended up going global. So any client research team <laughs> <that's> it, <laughs> uh, could use um, use this product to pretty much figure out how to, to guide their client to figure out how do you recommend somebody, what what are aspects of a product that will drive somebody to buy it? And so mm-hmm. I was hired because this product started going global, but it wasn't as robust. So my question was, wh- my task was one, make it more robust, help with scale, and then support it. Um, and That's I will also, general. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. I also wanted to point out because I, I find that you probably, you know, your audience is technical. Um, the interesting part was this around 2012. We had no version control. We had no package versioning. We had no containerization. Aww. The task was to run this locally on each person's machine and we used windows. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. So yeah, generally <laughs> this is a, you know a completely easy project with no potential yeah. bad bad outcomes. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, okay. it generated over four million dollars annually for the company. It was used in fifteen hundred studies worldwide, and um, about uh, 0.75 to one and a quarter people supported this at any given time. So since then, I've talked a lot about just kind of lessons learned. This is my first time taking somebody or taking. A, taking a data product into production and mm-hmm. all the lessons learned. And since then, I've you know, obviously learned a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like not to there. ever do that again? <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> what kinds of lessons? No, that what sounds, feels, lessons. sounds
0: like fun to me. I don't know. <laughs> Fun, not easy, but fun. Like mm-hmm, the type mm-hmm. two fun. I think we've been talking about like what types of fun. Some fun is like super chill and easy and you are like, just experiencing it. And some fun takes some effort and anxiety on your part, like mm-hmm. you know, skydiving <laughs> for some people. This definitely sounds like type two fun to me.
2: Well, I was just saying, you know, <laughs> learn the best practices the hard way. Right now I find that you know a lot of people teach best practices, but I can say this is a best practice because if it's not here, this is what's going to happen. This is what I've it's survived. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: So, okay. This was, uh, I wanted to ask about, so you, this was your first time leading a team of a team of two to five. Uh, were you, I always ask this question, were you given any training about uh, how to, and these people like reported to you, right? So were you given any training about how to lead people, how to manage folks? Was there anything that happened at that time that like taught you something about it?
2: Yeah, so it's because I actually had one direct report. um, He was my colleague and then my boss promoted me to be his manager. And uh, it was a little weird and there was no training. It was, uh, you know, my boss, I think think you're ready. This is a good experience to have. And I realized um, since then, um, that it takes about four to six months to figure, to iron out that collaboration style. Because, and and you'll know once it clicks, sometimes it takes four months, sometimes it takes six to figure mm-hmm. out what it is. And I found that one of the ways that I manage, I thought about this a lot. What's my style is um, kind of three, four different things. Now it's, you know, it is about respect and trust. I trust you, I trust you to, you know, you're here for a reason. I trust you to do your job. We're on the same page and let's collaborate and figuring out what is that communication style? So I can take an open-ended question and I will ask those questions. I will ask a hundred questions to scope it out and figure out what the priorities are. And my first direct report was not, we had different styles. And so Mm -hmm. figuring out how do I support him better in a way that's complementary to what he needs, rather than saying, this is the way to do it. And I've realized that with every direct report since then, I do start open-ended and then see what I would call, where do I need the little bumpers <laughs> to figure mm-hmm. out how do we direct that um, style to what they need and what I need. And it, but it's unusual. I mean, I,
0: I think this is fantastic that you started out your process with like, well, I don't, you know, it's it's me as the leader that needs to accommodate to some degree. Especially, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to do that when you're leading a small team rather than when you're higher up in the org and you have multiple orgs under you or whatever, which is kind of the role that you have now. Uh, it's a lot easier to customize your leadership style to the people that are reporting to you. But I think it's fantastic that you started out that way. A lot of new leaders are like, I have to be the authority, right? I mm. have to be the one who decides how these things go. So mm-hmm. I bet that served you well going forward. Um, so from there, uh, what happened after that? Did you move to another role within that org or did you
2: leave that company and go somewhere else? Yeah, that's a good question. So I did actually leave to go somewhere else. I went to work at um, a healthcare company, which is called Virtual Pediatric Systems. And so my role there was actually three three different teams, supporting three different teams again. So mm-hmm. one is helping um, the best way that I would explain it is helping support pediatric hospitals to kind of do quality control metrics to figure out how do you rank all the hospitals? How do you compare all the hospitals in the U S who's doing, who's doing well, who's doing not well, why is that happening so that they can improve those processes. Then mm-hmm. also another part of it. Uh, Part of my role was supporting the physicians at um, the critical care units at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. So um, this includes the pediatric ICU, the cardiac pediatric ICU, the NICU, and um, so those three. So helping them figure out if they have any research, because it is also a research hospital, if they have any research questions, I help them talk I help them on the data side of it. So just what, you know, what data should they be collecting? How do they analyze it? I can help with the analyses I help with uh, you know, if they submitted papers and got back feedback, how do you address those? How do you, you know, write a research grant? Where's that analytics section? So all of that. And then the third part was because there's a lot of data in the hospital, you know, around uh, you know, patients and outcomes, figuring out is there information that you can, gauge from when somebody just comes into the hospital to help them figure out how are they going to do long term. Um, and so this is kind of the research arm. And um, I was able to help with that as well. So lot, lots okay. of different <laughs> teams. It, there. it sounds like the role that
0: you tend to have, and I'm just basing this on, you know, I had looked a little bit at your LinkedIn page and, and, and at your website. Uh, the role you tend to have is sort of analogous to being the leader of a design center within an enterprise, because, it's not like you tend to have one designer per development team. You tend to have a designer uh, who is, is kind of spread across multiple teams because it's a fractional mm-hmm. role.
1: Mm-hmm, um, that mm-hmm.
0: your goal is more to show people how and to infuse the process with the, the understanding that you have and how they should collect their data and then how they should analyze it but not do the, now I'm going to write you a thing that does the data collection for you kind of stuff. Like maybe mm. not quite at that level. I've done that a- as
2: well, actually. So I would say, yeah, no, I agree. So uh, yeah, the way that I, I think of myself is I've been either internal or external consultant, and I am actually end to end. So I've done the, the strategy, mm-hmm. think about it, let me guide you. But if you need the help, I can help you implement it. And so I found that I can just kind of plug in where the needs are, <laughs> because mm-hmm. I have seen that whole spectrum. How
0: do you find it difficult to to lead more one way or the other, like work within work over multiple teams versus work with a single team and be internal to them? Uh, Is there, Mm. is there a difference in the way that you approach those like internal to external in particular? Like we know that being a consultant and coming in and like being paid perhaps to, to give an opinion about how things should be done or how things were done badly Mm -hmm, or whatever it is. uh, It's a different type of, leadership Then I work mm-hmm. here and I have a you know, vested interest in the outcome here kind of thing. Have yeah. you noticed that kind of difference?
2: No, that's a good question. I would say I would still have a vested interest even as an external consultant because oh, sure. I find that if I don't, um, to me, whether I'm ex- internal or external, to me it is about, you know, do I believe in the product? Do I like the people I'm going to work with? And is it challenging? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it has to be those three things. But Found there's generally a different political landscape right right yeah right and so i think the biggest challenge for each of those roles is is there how do teams handle the cross team collaboration is there let's say um a bit is there a one product board that the rest of the company feeds into or there isn't because then even as an internal uh employee or an external consultant I would see the challenges there actually i think that's my number one thing is how do you do the cross team collaboration and then of course all all of my other business questions and scope and all of those Mm -hmm. things okay um
0: do you Hmm. oh kendall is that different or kendall what were you
2: gonna Uh,
1: no i mean no that's interesting i mean i guess um I, i i'm curious like how do i say this <laughs> uh, the, the question's still formulating in my head as it's i could as tell I'm you were like you know mm-hmm.
0: there was a cloud forming the gears head. were turning is yeah that, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Mm. um i feel like leadership around data in particular like Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I know a company that did a mobile app for a long time and five years into their profitable existence realized, oh, wait a second, we're not actually a mobile app. We're a big data company because we've been collecting all this data all this time. We just had no idea that that's where the money actually was, mm-hmm. um, you know, or like what, whatever it is, like there's, I feel like it's just a different world sort of. And I'm curious, like, what are the things about being, in data science, collecting this data, thinking about this data, processing data, like, like how is it different from a normal software engineering a leader normal. or role or, uh, yeah, yeah. normal, well, sorry. But like, I mean, there's there's some things that are different about that. And yeah. I'm curious if, if anything stands out as obvious.
2: Yes, no, I actually have a blog about this. I'm, I'm happy to share the link uh, afterwards. But I think the biggest things are, so, a couple of things. So one is biggest challenge that I see is companies that uh, have a lot of data, but they've never looked at it. So they don't know what is actually getting collected, and it may not even be useful, or it may not be. And the way one thing, one way that I can think about it is I've had. So at this point, I've seen it all, you can't surprise me <laughs> with messy data. And when somebody comes in and says, I have messy data, Great, I think we can work on this. If somebody comes in and says I have perfect data, I say, I don't think we can work together. Probably don't, yeah. <laughs> this does not exist. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> but one of the ways that I've seen this, and actually, if you've seen um, the Twitter posts around PPP loans, uh, one of the biggest mm. examples was if you don't even validate the address, and it's a text field, and then you have everyone just puts in. I think it was 57 different ways to spell Philadelphia. Right. So there's going to be a lot of before you can use that data, you're going to have to clean it up. Um, But what I find is that a bigger issue is that if people are collecting data and they have there's lots of vendors out there that will collect the data for you. What companies may not know is those data sets might not talk to each other. So you may not know here's a client that checked out, but here is a client they look different on the website and then they have a completely different ID where they contact a customer support. So you might not even know mm-hmm. who's doing this throughout the day or what does a customer's journey looks like even throughout the day. Um, I'm because i familiar with this pain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I can keep, I can keep talking about this a lot, but no, I think the other part is, you know, to your question though, um, kind about, you know, how's it different from software engineering. So parts, so parts are similar, parts are different. One of the things that I think one of other biggest challenges is that, you know, depending off you're doing agile, Kanban, all of those, you know, the question is, okay, how long is something gonna take? I have no idea. I've never seen the data, you've never seen the data. Let's maybe do a discovery to say, let's spend 20 hours, figure out or five hours or however many however much time, figure out There's what's only ten there.
1: rows in my Excel. Sheet. <laughs> right.
2: Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> right. Right, but a thousand columns may be populated from 10 different type forms. <laughs>
1: Minor detail, Arena. I didn't mention the columns. <laughs>
2: yep. uh, but figuring that out, you know, working with partnering with product and, you know, other teams to make sure you're on the same page about, you know, okay, what I'll find will dictate the next step because I might not be able to, I can I can have a roadmap to say where things want to go but depending on what we find that roadmap I need to change um, and then of course because we are writing software to do this analysis we do need to use you know the usual um, you know the testing and the dockerizing and you know versioning and package man, all of those stuff again I can talk about why <laughs> mm-hmm. Why that's important, uh, but making sure things are tested as well, so that you know you'll know when something breaks, or you'll get alerts when something's not working. Mm-hmm.
1: And and um, okay, this is me jumping around a little bit too. So so you get the PhD in statistics, and and do you when did you know? I see all over your resume you're learning R in there, which is my understanding. I have a very basic understanding, but it's a language basically specifically written for data science. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Use cases, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you're you finish this degree, um, you go into the industry. You also have this JPL research experience. You uh, you do some data science consulting, and now you sort of do this fractional chief data science thing, where it's much more high level, like. I guess my question is, somebody brings in a data science consultant at, uh, it looks like you worked at Slalom for a while, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Um, And says, hey, we need help with this data science problem we have. How is that different from somebody saying, hey, we need a chief data scientist, even fractionally? Like, I imagine Mm -hmm. you're solving very different kinds of problems uh, or thinking about very big picture in a different way, or or am I wrong? Does it end up being the same?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I want to say, so in some ways it's similar, in some ways it's different. Um, I will touch on, so quick, quick comment just on R versus Python in case people are interested. So I did start out in R and I found that um, to collaborate with engineers, they know Python. And so, you know, you don't want to code something in R, then you have to recode um, and uh, what ended up actually happening at ValueClick where production was Lua, so that I would prototype in R, work with engineers to code it in Lua, and then it would be in production mm-hmm. for online advertising system. Um, and so being able mm-hmm. to pick up uh, Python during Ipsos, so uh, you know after after I went into industry 2012 was a good skill to also you know once you know one software it's easy to pick up another one. Um, mm-hmm. But that was uh, realized I need to do that to be able to collaborate better. Um, one of the I want to say probably the Biggest difference, so Slalom tends to work, so it is a uh, you know consulting firm, works with Fortune 500 companies, and the biggest thing there was being able to do digital transformation. So somebody's coming in, and how do you make those decisions with data for the very first time um, is the best way that I would phrase it. And what I found is that the lessons learned there was if you didn't start collecting the data from the very beginning, by the time you were profitable, you also missed out on learning about your customers along the way to make that more scalable down the line. And so part of what I do,
1: Oof, wait, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was an overly profound statement. I, like, wait, bit, I have to email and someone. I feel like we need to stop and just chill <laughs> okay. for a minute. So, sure, so wait. Sure. I mean, basically the conclusion of this podcast, in my opinion, <laughs> is this phrase that you just said, if you wait too long in your company's, uh, history, existence, whatever, to start collecting that information. Then later on you regret it because you're missing that customer yes. data. You're missing that. Oof. That's, uh, yeah, you're,
0: bo- yeah. you're, bo- you're unable to see the future, you yeah. know, yeah. you're, you're, or you're the past, guessing at things. Well, yeah. yeah. Like the, the way that you should proceed. So yeah. I, I want to understand the, so this role that you had at, at um, at, it's not slalom. Was this, what was it called?
1: Solum, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was
0: like, wait a minute, uh, I was mixing it up with another company name in my head Um, is that most of the, the projects that you worked on involved working with companies that may or may not have this historical data and helping them figure out how to leverage it and make decisions with it. Is that would that be yes. a good? Yes. Okay. All right. I just want to. Oh, so, sure yeah. So either that.
2: they've never collected the data or they've had it, but they've never looked at it. And so it is figuring out how do you do that? Um, yes. And then my, my motto became, yeah, you can't get insight from data you didn't collect. Yeah, there you go, Kendall. <laughs>
1: That's the thing. There it is. Boom. The, yeah. Bullshit. No. <laughs>
0: Just because you fly by the seat of your pants, man. not all of us enjoy I mean, that?
1: Intuition approach. is how every good decision in life is made. Because half the time, the intuitive decision is the absolute wrong one, and you get lucky anyways. Um, no, I'm, I'm. That's that's very interesting. Okay. okay and so, sorry, we. Go ahead, Kendall, yeah, do that we that interrupted nervous. you. Well, we interrupted you when you were you were in the middle of saying, I think, or were you done?
0: I think we're, you
1: know, I think we're than- okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, so we need, to, we need to shift gears to the question we ask everybody on this podcast, which is, um, I mean, you have a PhD in particular, which which gives you an air <laughs> of authority, uh, you know, one way or another, And, um, but, but how do you feel about having authority over others? How do you feel about others having authority over you? Um, and how's that changed maybe over your life?
2: hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great question. Yeah, I thought about this question a lot. Um, definitely coming from a different background, uh, I would say coming from Russia versus being in the US, you know, my opinions on authority have definitely shifted. I will say my um, opinion of authority over others versus my having authority over them is I thought about this a lot and I, I realized I think it is the same and it is, you know, I do need to have those four things that have the respect and trust Um, and then being able to collaborate together to say, hey, we're on the same team. You know, maybe we're on, we're on, somebody's on a different team physically, but we're on the same team. We have the same angle. We want to make our customers happier. How do we best collaborate and how do we support each other? And it is having those conversations, whether that's, you know, talking to the other executives to ask, and I ask them that even in the intake meeting, what is your preferred collaboration style? Do you like an email? with bullets. Do you like the email that starts out with these? This is why this email is important. Or would you just prefer to meet with Slack? I had one of, um, one of my bosses historically just preferred to have a meeting over Slack and other people just prefer to be over video and having that conversation of what do you need? Um, goes a long way. And similar, similarly with, um, my direct report reports, it is figuring out how do I support you better? Um, so for instance, Uh, One of the examples I've managed, um, two direct reports at the same time who also had completely different uh, 180 personalities of each other. One was really outgoing, one was really quiet, introverted, and it's figuring out how do I support them better that also complement each other. And so one would, we would have meetings and he would have all these ideas And, um, the other direct report will only share ideas in a one-on-one. And when I shared them with others, people were surprised that she had these ideas because she's been there for three years and nobody heard these things before. Mm. So it's a a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is figuring out how, how do I support them better? And one is having those conversations. The other thing was realizing that, uh, wh- one of the ways that I did that was, you know, when they're sharing ideas as I created, I just said, okay, let's just create a confluence document and you can just share your ideas there because both of them can then be a little bit more focused and a little bit more public and visible. And then we can review them, say quarterly before the quarterly planning, maybe we'll surface one or two to the executives and see do the other executives, do they like these ideas or not? And then then it's also visibility for they created, these were their ideas that they wanted to surface to the business.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I like
1: it. Do you collect, uh, you, you, mentioned, you know, some of, some of these folks like to meet via Slack. Some of these folks like to meet via video. Do you know what percentage is, which are you collecting this data? Arena? What <laughs> data are you collecting <laughs> about your business so that you, yeah, I'm going to turn this shit around on you and you better Megan be a hard. That's harsh. That's right. No, that's great. <laughs> um,
2: no, that's great. Actually, there was one, uh, what of uh, what of my uh, so somebody in my network shared this post that they looked at all their calendar invites and realized that most of the people that they met during the year they met once. And I went back and I realized I think I did the same. I've had a very shallow network and not a deep network. And so my goal for this coming year is to, you know really, I think connect with, say, a handful or twenty five people that I want to connect more and learn more and uh collaborate more with rather than doing one meeting uh per year and then checking in the next year
0: checkmate kendall
1: Uh, my argument in in uh response to that in rebut of that would be um arena if you grow a very large beard so that everyone Mm -hmm. remembers arena with the beard you can meet everyone once and everyone will remember you the next time (laughs) and it's very easy to grow a very deep uh, no
2: man i have totally wanted to grow beard. <laughs> this is not gonna happen. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I want to say I, I did want to touch on that a little bit because so I'm 5'3", and I find that actually, even though I have a PhD, I have very quiet authority. Most people usually mistake me for having no authority. I'll get mistaken for being an undergrad or a grad student Oof. if I don't introduce myself. Um, I. Hell do- yeah! Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so yeah, it is all part of the introduction. Uh, I may be tested by introduction. I teach a, uh, core graduate, um, statistics class for working professionals at UCLA department of statistics winter quarter. So this is January through March each year. And I realized the first time I introduced myself, I said, Hey, I'm Irina. I just enjoy teaching this is uh, as a hobby. And my reviews all said, I cannot believe this is her hobby. What is this? You know, forgetting that wow. I'm teaching them best practices, how to go from zero to production, to do an end-to-end project, to answer actionable business goals. So of course, next year I said, hi, I'm Irina. I I created this class to make you marketable because after you graduate, you're gonna learn Python, SQL, Git, changed mostly nothing about the course my evaluations are now oh my god we learned something so practical (laughs) oh my god i feel
1: like if you're getting mistaken too for the undergrad you just need to dye your hair gray and then everybody (laughs) will be like this person is amazing they know get (laughs) Uh. (laughs) totally
0: that's right that's right yeah (laughs) so uh i Um, I, we're we're getting close to to having to wrap her time here but i wanted to ask you um do you, so you're, you're teaching a course, you're, uh, you have your own consulting company and uh, you're providing services to one or more other uh, companies. What are your hobbies outside of this work or is it all that all the time?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I find it's a couple different things. So one is I enjoy long distance jogging, um, oh. especially being in LA, I, I feel lucky. I can go outside and jog today. Um, oh. So I enjoy that a lot. Um, I also mentor a lot. That is another (laughs) one of my hobbies is uh, or as me and a couple of my other friends in the LA area, we call over volunteering. Um, So I've realized I know you were going to ask this question. I realized what are all of the things that I did this year? And I know it's early April and I've already volunteered for 10 events, (laughs) including (laughs) speaking on different panels. (laughs) Endless energy. (laughs) Dang. Um, Oh, yeah. And I just enjoy, you know, talking to undergrads. I enjoy talking about sharing experience, freelancing. I talk about consulting. I talk about product market fit. How do you use your data to actually figure out where you need to go? Um, I talk to other students. that want to meet professors. I help um, mentor graduate women in the sciences. There are doing PhDs in the sciences and trying to figure out what do I want to do next? Um, And then I also um, wrote an article on how to collaborate better within the company. And then, of course, doing this podcast, which, uh, you know, again, yeah, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> no
0: problem. I'm glad you think of this as a, a thing, a hobby <laughs> outside of work. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, we we we, uh, we enjoy speaking with everyone who has, like, you, you just have so much energy for what you're doing. And the, the I imagine that the the work that you do helps a lot of companies become more successful so and I it's not like you're just doing this because this is what you got your degree in, and that's this is where you are forever because what else would I know how to do? It doesn't sound like you have that kind of feeling about your work at all. And I
1: love it. Which that. frankly, a data person, that's what I expect. <laughs> yes. I'm really good at this and I get paid a lot. And of course nobody enjoys this. It's data. And instead you're like, Data, fuck yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm glad about that, but I'm not sure I quite believe it. He this is a very important.
0: Uh yeah.
1: Oh that's my right. gosh. Well, if if people want to know more about you, where can they find you on the internet, arena?
2: I would say LinkedIn or my website, iCookLiva.com. Cool. Yeah, and okay.
0: I'll put
1: that
2: in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. This was rad.
1: Yeah, thank you. That oh, was my pleasure. Appreciate it.